Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to talk to you this morning about reviving the message of the gospel. And that's a theme that I'm opening up, and we're going to actually be exploring over the next few weeks. As I've just mentioned in our announcements, we're coming up to Easter, or Passover, as many like to refer to it. And, you know, as I think about it, you, from my point of view, as I look at the Christian calendar, as the, as the pastor, as the leader, and, and what we, you know, what is good for us to give emphasis to, how do we give emphasis to that? How do we do uh, rightly give due diligence, give due attention, give due impact to this very special date? And obviously this has been rolling around in my heart and mind for a few weeks now. I've been thinking about it, saying to the Lord, how do we celebrate Easter in a way that is meaningful? How do we celebrate Easter in a way that is meaningful not just to us, but that it goes beyond ourselves? Because the Easter message for those who are saved is rejoicing, and it is a wonderful thing, and it is something we should remember. But the whole point of it is not just that we say, wow, Lord, thank you that we are saved and we are not like those hopeless sinners. The idea is that, Lord, thank you for the salvation that we get to take to the world that is crying out for it. How do we celebrate the message of the cross? How do we celebrate the message of you coming to earth, Lord Jesus, and commissioning us to go. Because this is all part of the message, isn't it? This is all part of what Easter is about. It's not just about the fact that Jesus died and rose again. It's about what it means to you and what it means to me and what it calls us into. Yes, it calls us into a kingdom and into a wonderful new reality. We're going to talk about that a bit today. But how do we do Easter or how do we look at this message in such a way that we can make this an opportunity to take this wonderful thing that we've received and share it with others. And I'm talking about more than just a bring and bride. I'm talking about this message of the gospel. You see, you and I are here this morning as a result of this message that has touched our lives, that has changed us, that has brought us into a loving relationship with God Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. But that message is never intended to stop with you and me. It's never intended to be good news just for you and me. Like we're this holy club. You see, even the people of Israel really struggled with this. When Jesus went out to Samaria and He preached to those people. And then He went and, you know, He even healed and blessed Gentiles, those people. So often we can take this message and make it all about ourselves. But it was never intended to be that way. You see, the gospel message is something that we are to receive to share. And as I think about sharing the gospel, as I think about telling people about the good news, I realize that most of us really struggle with this. Am I right? How many of you find it really easy, very natural, to share your faith? Maybe in a shopping center, maybe among your friends, maybe among the work colleagues. 
Maybe you'd rather they didn't know you were a believer. Maybe it'd be really convenient sometimes to be an incognito Christian, because then there's no expectations of you. And listen, you think you feel that one? I carry this title of pastor. I go places and they ask you what you do for a living. And you say, well, I'm a pastor. And you, they, you, you, you see them go, oh. And they've now summed you up and they have a whole bunch of expectations. Many years ago, my wife and I attended a wedding. And we sat at a table of people about our same age, and it was just, I think there were about 12 people around the table. Such a lovely vibe. Everybody got on with everybody. Lots of laughter, lots of talking. Everyone was sharing. Nobody had really delved too deep in anything, but there was so much in common that conversation was easy with a group of strangers, and everyone was really having a wonderful time. I don't ever remember, truth be told, sitting around a table of strangers and feeling so comfortable and just so at ease until it came time for supper. And somebody said, will Pastor Michael please come and give grace, or say grace for the meal? Which I duly did. I stood up, I went, and I gave thanks for the meal, and I came and sat down, and nobody would look at me. (laughs) They would look at their shoelaces, and you sit down and you realize, and you can see the cogs turning, going, what did we say? Well, how's he going to judge? It's so silly, isn't it? And sometimes Christians, as Christians, maybe we feel that way too. We come into a setting and maybe we don't feel like we're welcome. Maybe we don't feel like we're a part of it. But yet, these are the people that God has called us to love and to reach for the gospel. To make an impact. And maybe that's in our workplace. Maybe that's in our university, our college. I really do believe that God strategically places us. The home that you live in is your mission field into a community. That's your mission's base, if I can put it that way. And would your neighbors even miss you if you weren't there? Would they actually start praying prayers of thanksgiving if you left? Do your neighbors even know that you know Jesus? And these are difficult questions because they confront us. And this is part of what we have to, what, what, I'm, what I'm wrestling with, what I'm grappling with. Do we truly understand this wonderful gospel message that we carry within us in such a way that we are able to clearly communicate it with others, both in word and in deed? I think Siobhan taught me something interesting this week. I have many times heard that um, St. Francis of Assisi once said that wherever you go, preach the gospel. And where necessary, use words. Apparently, he never said that. (laughs) What he meant was, let our preaching of the gospel be backed up by our actions. In other words, let our actions demonstrate this wonderful message that we carry. But you know, folks, I have neighbors who, when they have sick, we've dropped off some chicken soup or whatever the case may be, just to help them and be a blessing. Is that sharing the love of Jesus Christ? Yes. Let me ask you, are they, were they touched by it? Absolutely they were. Were they brought into the kingdom as a result? No. There have been other times where friends of ours have, we've done something for them. Maybe you've gone out of your way to do something really kind to that person in your workplace. Were they touched by it? Were they impacted? Maybe they even commented about the love that they felt. 
Did that action bring them into the kingdom? No. It may well have been a demonstration of kingdom love. It may well have been a demonstration of the care and the compassion of God. But there is something about the preaching of the gospel, the articulating of this message, the invitation that is able and has the power to bring people into this wonderful kingdom. Not just to have a small taste of it. And it, when it comes to this part, that most of us tend to stumble or to shrink back. Am I right? We don't mind being led by the Spirit to do something, but when we have to put our colors to the mast, when we have to go and, and look into somebody's eyes, and perhaps even through their eyes into their soul, and really tell them that Jesus loves them, that God has a plan and a purpose, our tongues grow very thick in our mouths, and we don't quite know what to say. We don't quite know how to articulate it. And so, you know, the question, I think also about it this way. If I am unable to pray with somebody, if I see somebody's going through something, maybe they're sick, maybe they're having a rough time in their home, maybe they have needs, and I know about this in my workplace. If, if the compassion of God within me doesn't even spur me to the place where I can pray with somebody, what does that actually say about my faith? What does that say about my convictions? Do I really believe that God could help them? Am I perhaps more concerned about my reputation than about the challenge somebody else is facing at this moment? And the question I'm asking is, are we willing to have a good, hard, honest look at ourselves and our own lives and hold them up against the challenge of the gospel? And say, concerning this love of God that God calls me to demonstrate, and concerning this great commission in which I am sent out to be a representative of and an ambassador for a new kingdom, when I look at my life, how am I faring? Is that a fair comment? Is that a fair question? Are, as we do this, are we ready to make the internal shifts that are required in order to revive this message in our hearts? What I have asked over the next few weeks, we are going to be reviving the message of the gospel. Reviving. In our hearts and in our minds. And how are we going to do that? We are going to look at the message of the gospel from different angles. Stephen once said something really beautiful. He says there's, there was an, there's an old Hebrew way of thinking about the word of God, that the word of God is like a flawless diamond. Now, I don't know if any of you have any, ever taken any time to look at a diamond, but if you look at a diamond, you see how it reflects the light. And if you turn it just slightly, you're looking at the same diamond, but it reflects that same light in a different way. You get to see different colors, different nuances of, of the diamond and of the light it reflects. I think we, in revisiting this gospel, as we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, there's two outcomes that I have in mind and that I want you to be aware of. This is the plan of the series we are entering into. Number one, to gain a good, holistic, proper understanding of what the gospel message is all about. Some of us think the gospel message is, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Who is Jesus? What sin are you talking about? 
and why do I need saving are a lot of questions. You know, we have a lot of Christianese. Have you found Jesus? Somebody might say, I didn't know he was missing. <laughs> what is this gospel message? And do we understand how, how it's woven from the very beginning of creation and how it will manifest itself right in the end when Jesus comes again? That's the first thing. The second thing, the second purpose of reviving the gospel in our hearts and lives is so that you and I may be equipped, prepared to share it simply. The gospel does not have to be complicated. It is deep and it is profound and the way it works itself out in our lives is wonderful and, and, and diverse. And all of us will be impacted by this message in different ways. That's good because we are all unique and we are all different. And there are some people you will be able to reach that I never will. And there are some people who have my strange sense of humor who through that and the message could be led to the Lord. I mean, God does miraculous things. He works in wonderful ways. But what is our mission? Let's look at it up on the board there. Our mission is to equip the saints for works of ministry. And as I've said, there are the works of ministry that display the love of God. But there is a message that those works undergird that is able to bring people into this wonderful kingdom. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of that kingdom. And so the next few weeks are going to be about, let's look at this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ again. Because in its simplicity and in its profundity, it is the avenue that God has chosen to bring people out of darkness and into light. And you and I have this wonderful calling to be ushers. We're going to get a broader and a deeper understanding of good news, a greater realization of it, and learn simple and effective ways to spread this powerful message. Now, to begin with, this morning, what I would like to do is ask you this question. If we're going to be talk, about, talk about sharing this message of the gospel, both practically and preaching it, sharing the words, telling people about Jesus and the love of God, the first place we need to start is to ask the question, to what extent has this message really taken root in my heart and life, and what is the evidence? Has this message really taken root in my heart and life, and what is the evidence of it? You see, some people, when they talk about being born again, or they talk about their salvation moment, they point to a day and a date and a time, which is great. I've heard a lot of people say, you have to know when you gave your heart to Jesus. You have to have it written down somewhere, preferably in the Bible that you didn't even have at the time. There's a preacher called J. John. He's a Greek Cypriot, and I love the manner in which he ministers. He says, you know, I don't remember the moment I was born. I don't remember what my mother went through. But there's evidence to suggest that I was. He said, likewise, I don't remember the moment I gave my heart to Jesus, but there's evidence to suggest that I have. There's a life that has been transformed. One of the most riveting moments in my journey came as a passing comment that somebody once made who knew me before coming under the tutelage of a spiritual father and met me years later and said, what changed you? There was, 
You know, when, often when, when, when you don't see your family for a long time, what happens? Suddenly the kids are tall and you go, wow, you've grown. And the parents don't really notice it because they see it every single day. But when you see the contrast, it's a big deal. And that's what happened in that moment with me. There was growth. There was something that had changed and that had matured. And the question that I think we need to look at is this message of the gospel. How has this message changed me? How has this message changed the way I see myself as a person? How has it changed the way I see those around me? How has it changed my attitudes? And how is this message causing me to go beyond myself? Because that's the essence of the gospel message, isn't it? It's a message that comes to me and so changes me that I now begin to live it out in a different way, both unto the Lord, and so it it comes to me and changes me and leaves me as an act of worship, and it comes to me and changes me and works its way out of me as an act of love and compassion for those that I see around me. I think so often in, in Christianity today, we've reduced this gospel message into a destination called saved. So I pray a prayer and I get this new state of being saved, and hallelujah, now the job is done. But in reality, that's not the message of the gospel at all. It's just a very, very small part of it. We often, you know, just to throw terminology out, we often think of it as being called the gospel of salvation. But you actually won't find those words in the Bible. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Salvation is what brings us out of the kingdom of this world into this new dispensation, this new kingdom. And I want to read to you primarily out of two key portions of Scripture this morning. first one being John chapter 3. And this is the account of Jesus meeting a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who I believe was, had, had, who had clearly been exposed to some of the things that Jesus had done. As Jesus was going about delivering people from demons and healing the sick, Nicodemus had seen what is happening. And so he, being a Pharisee and a man of stature among the Jewish people, did not want to be seen with this new rogue rabbi. And so he meets with him under cover of darkness at night. And here we see John chapter 3, reading from verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So here we don't see somebody who's coming against Jesus. We see somebody who is a religious leader, whose confidence is in keeping the law, who is sincere but confused. Because all of these things that we are seeing seem as though they should be the hallmarks of the one we are expecting as our Messiah, but you look nothing like what I expect him you to look like. You preach nothing like what, you, what we're expecting. You haven't taken any Roman heads off yet, and I'm confused. Who are you and what is going on? So Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus here is challenging Nicodemus' perception of salvation. 
we, they have this idea of the kingdom of God and what it was going to look like. You see, what Jesus said made absolutely no sense to this man. It's a completely different paradigm that he had no frame of reference for. His expectation is that this Messiah would come and he would deliver the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, from all the heathen. And they would put them on top. And the heathen and the Romans and all of these Gentiles would now serve God's people. And they would be exalted above all with him. You see, he had a frame of reference that went all the way back to captivity in Egypt where God came and brought Moses and sent Moses and brought them out of captivity and out of the wilderness and into the promised land and out of Babylonian captivity. And now we're in Roman occupation and somehow the Savior is going to come and bring us out of this new captivity that we find ourselves. And this is why what Jesus said to him was so revolutionary. And so Jesus says, you have to be born again. And this is really interesting. This is where Nicodemus gets really stuck. We'll, we'll look at this in a moment. But birth is a big deal when it comes to citizenship. What do you need to do to be a citizen of this country? Nothing. You just get born. <laughs> You get born. When you get born into a country, you automatically become a citizen of that country. And so what Jesus is trying to explain to him here is that, Nicodemus, you need to be born, not just of this country. There's a whole new country that you need to be born into and become a citizen of. And it's not of this earth. It's a heavenly country. It's a divine country. And of course, Nicodemus doesn't quite understand. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Nicky, Nicky, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Some people interpret that born of water differently. Some people say that means you need to be a natural person, born of a womb, born out of the water. Other people say that that refers to the waters of baptism. Some other people also say that that refers to the Spirit of God as we are washed, or by the Word of God as we are washed by the Word of God. I believe the most accurate is Jesus is saying that which is, is flesh and spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're born. You've got flesh and blood. You're a natural human being. But this born again, Nicodemus, is not a natural born. It is a spiritual rebirth where you become a citizen of an entire different country, an entirely different dispensation or realm. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, and there we see that evidence again, all things become new. So there is a change that takes place, which is clearly evident. A little bit later in the same chapter, Jesus helps Nicodemus by relaying an example that he would be familiar with. In verse 14, it says, Jesus is, is speaking to Nicodemus and says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You remember that in the wilderness, the people complained against God. They complained against Moses. 
And so God sent serpents into their midst and into the camp. And he began, the serpents began biting the people. And then they cried out to God. And he commanded Moses, he said, go and make a serpent and put it on a stick and hold it up high. And whoever looks at the serpent, I think this is really interesting. When they look at the snake, they will be delivered not only from the serpent, but also from the effect of the poison. The power of death that was at work within them would be thwarted when they looked at the snake. And this is a picture of Jesus himself being lifted up on the cross. And so he's, Jesus is trying here with Nicodemus to bring in some imagery and symbolism that he would be familiar with, that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, which was a huge claim because in doing so he was claiming to be the Messiah, would be lifted up, and whoever looked at him would be set free from the bondage and the effects and the tyranny of a system and would be brought out of a system that Nicodemus thought was the Roman Empire. But in reality was the nature of sin itself, the fallen nature of man, the Adamic nature that is within each and every one of us. It's a little bit later in that same portion of Scripture that we come across this verse. You might have heard of it before. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him and whoever looks to Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, the idea of being saved is not the end goal. It is just the beginning. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom, you've got to be born again. What is a birth? Is that an end or is that a beginning? It's a rhetorical question. It's not a trick one. A birth is a beginning. It's an awakening into a new reality. And this is what salvation is all about for you and I. Jesus came down to earth that he may restore intimacy between mankind and God through paying for the sin and setting the people free from that nature that keep, kept us locked in our sin away from God. Do you realize how much of the message of the gospel is contained in the Lord's Prayer alone? Let's look at it together quickly for a few minutes. Because this wonderful message of the gospel is so simply and beautifully articulated just in the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We'll read from Matthew chapter 6 from verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven. Let's pause. This is what Jesus came to do. To bring us into a state where you and I could be adopted as the sons and daughters of God Almighty. That's the message of the gospel. That we could inherit, become a part of the inheritance of the name and the nature of that divine family. Isn't that incredible? That everything the Father has is at our disposal. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't you see that this is so much more than just having our sins forgiven? This is about the introduction of a whole new world. Yes, Jesus did not come on a magic carpet, but he did come to bring us into a whole new world. with new systems, with new values, with new principles, with a new king, 
that works and that overcomes that which we see all around us. Give us this day our daily bread. Fatherly care for his children. You know, part of the gospel message, Jesus said, God has anointed me to preach liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, good news to the poor. Those who have nothing to eat, this is part of the gospel message. Your father will care for you. He will provide for you what you need, your daily bread. To forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So not just forgiveness for me, but the grace to extend that forgiveness to others, as Siobhan shared with us this morning through communion. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, from the reign and the domination of our oppressor, and from the fruits of his reign, of being in bondage to him. So lead us not as in, back into this bondage, but lead us in your ways and in your kingdom ways. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory over all of these other things, forever and ever and ever. Amen. You see, there's a whole realm of kingdom realities that, you, that, that have been born within every believer who has been born into the kingdom. Let me say that again. There is a whole realm of kingdom realities that have been born within the heart of every believer that has been born into the kingdom. Now, a baby that is born requires nourishment. It requires care so that it can achieve its potential of growing mentally, physically, socially, economically, in every single way, right? And so, too, this blessed kingdom that has been born into your heart and my heart requires nurturing so that it can grow and we can walk in the fruit thereof. Now, before we go out there and we start telling every Tom, Dick, and Harry about this wonderful gospel, which is obviously the aim eventually, we first need to evaluate how our lives are rooted and grounded in this message. And the place I want to start with this morning is, as we look at this gospel is to say, Lord Jesus, I've become so comfortable and so familiar with this message that I've lost sight of the power of this message. Would you say that that is an apt, apt description of where your heart may be concerning the gospel? I'm so familiar with it that I've forgotten the power that it can have in my life and my situation right now and can have through me. This gospel that comes through a cross that enables me to live a selfless life after Christ's example. This gospel that gives to me the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit to work not just in me, but equip me with supernatural gifts that enable me to represent Him well and to share His message with other people. This obedience and this yieldedness to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, and a willingness to be discipled, to change to adapt from the customs and the ways of this world and to take on this new kingdom and all its realities without double standards, without compromise, without one foot in and one foot there and in and out. Romans 8 verses 9 to 10 from Eugene Peterson's commentary called The Message says this, 
But if God Himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Are you experiencing life on God's terms every single day? Has this message of the gospel brought you to a place of personal victory over sin, over fear, over anxiety, over worry, over poor self-esteem? And can those around you see it? Is there evidence to suggest it? So I want to say to you, maybe it's time we took another look at the good news. And we remind ourselves why it's good news. And we allow our hearts to wrap itself around this message once again. And understand once again why it is such good news. You know the first thing that will happen is a new song of worship will come up from our hearts. A new song of gratitude. Sometimes in our, in, our, in our ways, in our ways of doing things, we get something new. And while the novelty is there, it's exciting. And it's wonderful. And we're so grateful for it. But just give it a bit of time. You like your car now? Wait till they bring out the next model. You still happy with your Nokia? You know what I mean? And listen, the same thing happens to us sometimes concerning beautiful revelations that God gave to you right in the beginning. That's why Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, you guys are doing great. I commend you on the way you're walking out your faith. I commend you on the way you're working these things out. But I have this thing against you. You've left your first love. The initial response you had to that gospel message right in the beginning where your heart was so tender. Go back there, he says. Return to those things you did at first. And allow the message of being saved, of being forgiven, to truly work in your heart. Because it's from that place that we become effective ambassadors. And it's from the place of having that message be alive in our hearts that we can minister it with life to others. Does that make sense? If you had to win the lottery today, there would be a measure of excitement with which you shared the news. I look forward to your tithe. <laughs> and how are you going to explain that one? Do you understand what I mean? I want you to stand with me. Father God, my prayer as we as we take a step back and as we look at, at the very heart of what it is that we believe, Lord Jesus, I pray that over the next few weeks, whether we are pondering our salvation at home, whether we are sitting in this auditorium and listening to those who will teach us, Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you would breathe afresh 
upon the message of the gospel in our own hearts and lives and calls it to revive us and to be revived in our estimation. May it cause praise and thanksgiving to well up from within. May it cause a passion for the lost to well up within our own hearts, Lord God. Lord, would you teach us the wonderful significance of this message afresh, as if we're hearing it for the first time. And would you equip us to share this message with others? Here we are, Lord God. We are your children. But we know that we do not exist just for ourselves. We do not exist just to enjoy the pleasures of your kingdom and scoff at those who don't. No, Lord God, your heart breaks for each and every one. So we're asking you that throughout this series, Lord God, you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. You would give us a love and a passion for the gospel and that you would give us a love and a passion for those who need to hear it. A love and a passion that causes us to go beyond ourselves. That will bring out within us the boldness to share the wonderful gift that you have given to us. And so today we pray for that and we pray that together. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together out loud this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen and amen. So may the good news of Jesus resonate in your hearts this week as you think about it. And may it cause songs of praise and thanksgiving to come up from your heart for the fact that you are forgiven, that you have been brought into a kingdom of love and are a child of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. God bless you, church. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.